Welcome to Trading Tomorrow, Navigating Trends in Capital Markets. I'm your host, Jim Jockle. In my decade plus of working with Numerics, a global leader in capital markets risk management technology, I have launched our Thought Leadership Division, a place where insights, innovation, and expertise converge, just like this podcast. Through my journey in the financial realm, I've had the privilege of witnessing firsthand how the capital markets landscape has transformed. The complex dance of market trends and innovative technology has redefined how the finance industry operates. With game-changing innovations just around the corner, we now stand at a crossroads, one where it is more crucial than ever to understand the interplay between these realms. That's what we do here. We talk about current and future processes and technologies you need to be aware of moving forward. During this podcast episode, we'll discuss increased volatility and how it translates into increased need for counterparty risk measures, plus current and future risk trends. I would also carve out some time to cover up the upsurge in both interest rates and demand for market-based analytics like stress testing and cash flow evaluations in response to this trend. And joining me for this discussion is Carl Sees. With over 25 years of experience in risk management and deployment of innovative risk technology, Carl has invaluable insight. He's previously held leadership positions at major investment banks and brokerages, including Barclays Capital and RBS. Carl specializes in credit market and operational risk management. Currently, Carl is the global head of product strategy and pre-sales for CubeLogic, a software company specializing in risk management and business intelligence solutions. Through leveraging advanced analytics, artificial intelligence, and data visualization, CubeLogic empowers businesses across industries to make informed decisions and mitigate operational risks. Carl, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Jimmy, and thank you for the invitation to to participate in your podcast series. It's uh, it's really it's a really is a pleasure, as always, to be discussing these fascinating topics. I completely agree, and I can't wait to get to some more of your insights. And why don't we just turn it now to the energy markets? You know, over the past eighteen months, there's been quite a ride in terms of volatility. And what we've been seeing and how that has affected trading in the capital markets, you know, perhaps you can give us some of your insight as to how the market is managing this volatility. Yeah, well, as we know, the energy and commodity markets have always been highly volatile, but the the Russian invasion of Ukraine and all those knock-on impacts in terms of gas supply, gas prices, and uh, and all the other knock-on effects has resulted in massive market dislocations and incredible volatility. So on top of that, you've got heightened default risk, heightened performance risk. And when I mean, when I talk about performance risk in the energy markets, that's the, the risk that somebody doesn't deliver the barrel of oil or, or, or can't deliver to you because of some, some event that, 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 that prevents that. So all of that's gone through the roof. Then you layer on top of that a nice healthy dose of, of, of liquidity risk. So the, the, the eight, last 18 months has been a wild ride for, for both managers and uh, risk managers and traders. And this has led to an unprecedented level of, of interest from firms as they realize that um, this has been a, an area of underinvestment in, in the past. So we're seeing, I think this is, this is a general comment across the whole market, we're seeing interest coming from big global players to smaller players. Across across a wide variety of of, of different 
um, areas within counterparty risk. So you've got the basic counterparty management, things like reference data, limits, exposure, that kind of thing. Then you've got the analytics of PFE, CVA, and I have to say a massive interest in stress testing across the piece. Um, and that stress testing interest has also bled across to an adjacent area, which, which is collateral management. Um, you know, the, um, the energy companies tend to manage collateral within, within the credit functions, and they've been really spooked by the liquidity risks caused by the huge swings in, in, in margins. So they've invested heavily in, in predictive anal analytics so they can anticipate margin calls and things like that. The, the energy markets has had one of the most notable crashes around counterparty credit risk. And, you know, uh, obviously, I think the market just viewed it as an energy company and didn't view it as a trading company. And, you know, subsequent downgrades caused so many challenges in terms of the underlying CSAs. But as we think about Enron, we're almost thinking about 20 years ago. Why is counterparty credit risk only getting on the radar now? Um, I think if you think back to Enron days, um, there was a, a surge in interest. There was a lot of investment. But in the intervening years, you know, it's, 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 this is a feature in, in investment banking as much as it is in the energy markets. But, you know, it's, it's, when the, it's when those market dislocations hit that people realize that, that they need to continue to invest much more in, in, in their risk management systems and approaches. So I think that I'm not saying, you know, the market became complacent, but I think that there were just practices within the market. There were features within the market that just got exposed uh, as a result of these dislocations and, and, and lessons are being learned. So, Carl, where are we today in terms of adoption of technologies to manage effectively counterparty credit risk? Uh, is this only the largest companies that are finally seeing the light, uh, if you will, uh, and in making these types of investments? Or is it becoming much more pervasive across the landscape of the industry? It's, it's right across the piece, Jim. 2023 has been a record year in terms of investment. And I think that's going to continue because these are multi-year projects. So on the one, one, one side, you've got the big global players who have invested over the years, have got um, very sophisticated systems, but because of the, you know, the M&A in the industry, they're very siloed. Some of the technology is a bit antiquated. So those, those firms are looking to replace the old technology and implement truly enterprise solutions that enable them to see their risks right across the piece and also to be much much more proactive in terms of their risk management, which which um, which we can touch upon um, uh, a bit later. On the other side, we've also got smaller companies, still substantial companies, but smaller ones um, that are coming to market because they've realised their business models are at threat by relying on um, spreadsheets. So quite often, what you see is. Spreadsheets are sitting at the back end of, of ETRMs and, uh, and other trading systems. And, um, you know, some firms, particularly in the wake of some losses, have realized that this is just not, you know, it's a threat to them. So we're seeing, seeing that right across the piece. It is, you know, it's different types of underinvestment, but, but the, the root cause of this is, you know, underinvestment over a number of years, and 2022 was really a, a, um, a wake-up call for many companies. Um, and at the end of the year and into 2023, um, it's almost like an arms race in some respects. You know, they're really investing heavily, as I say, right across the piece. 
I think that that's going to, you know, the consequences of that will be that, you know, the winners of the future will be those firms that, that automate, streamline, so they can cope with the volumes and they can they can analyze their risks efficiently, but also those that in, implement um, good analytics in order to analyze their risks, maximize their their their, um, their risk adjusted returns. And again, then there's other consequences because they need different skill sets, um, and then they need a different business model for for managing credit risk. They, you know, there's, there's a lot of firms that still today are very risk adverse. They'd rather um, They'd rather avoid the risk than than take take the risk with um, you know in in um, in the full knowledge of, of what they're doing. So it's uh, it's a fascinating time for the market in in that respect. Carl, you bring up an interesting question around personnel, and I, I want to get into that in a minute. Uh, but thinking about the advent of risk adjusted pricing in the broader derivatives market, obviously there were downstream impacts to client. We saw higher prices getting passed along based off of credit quality. Have we seen this impact yet of risk-adjusted pricing throughout the commodities world? It's something that's coming. Um, it's not there yet. So, I, in fact, I was I was I had lunch yesterday with the head of credit for one of the largest energy commodity traders in the world, actually, and um, they've got some very exciting plans for better measurement and monitoring of capital allocation, the risk capital allocation, pricing that, and um, but yet, even even at that point, there's there's still some hesitation about how that might get passed downstream um, and how that might get allocated out to trades and the businesses and things like that. So, um, I think it's coming. I think that that the um, it's it's a natural evolution in in the market, and and we're seeing we're seeing movement of of personnel from from investment banks over to, to commodity market, uh, commodity players in some respects. It's a slightly different market. And it's a very physical market. There are some that are just trading it purely for trading, but there are others there that are trading it because they're trading around their assets, that they are, you know, it's actual physical supply and physical demand. And um, and so um, the um, it's a slightly different ballgame there. Just out of interest, we saw it as related to the adoption of counterparty credit risk with, with risk-adjusted pricing in some regions in Asia particular, not wanting to introduce types of measures because they wanted it to be more competitive. Uh, obviously, a short-term view on the market. However, do you see that potentially falling over to some smaller players in terms of remaining competitive against the larger players? Yeah, I think that, that it's the same concern. It's it's I see parallels between you know my experience in investment banking where I was there at the beginning of CVA, CVA trading and all of those debates. And then it's, it's mirrored now in, in the energy market. So it's, it's, um, it's very, very similar. But with, with the, the physical market differences and, and, and considerations because, yeah, people, people, firms can become very quickly uncompetitive um, in, in, in that space. So it has been well documented that the troubles that Credit Suisse had specifically in the derivatives market and the way they were looking at risk-adjusted pricing and counterparty credit risk, however, you know, they were still doing monthly runs. It, it wasn't flowing down into their trading grids and things of that nature. Now, obviously, energy markets are vastly different uh, because of the physical delivery, but is there a potential for an Archegos kind of situation in the energy markets if they're not being prudent in terms of the introductions of these new technologies? Yeah, I certainly think so, because I think that, that 
general state of the market is, um, you know, the uh, analytics are not, um, you know, the advanced analytics are not being applied systematically on a daily basis across whole portfolios, that kind of thing. So there's still a long way to go with with respect to systematic PFE, CVA and other, and, and other analytics. Um, Part of that is due to the structural differences in the market. You know, there's a lot of use of credit mitigation. So a lot of the trading activities don't generate the types of unsecured credit risk that, that, you, that you would see in, 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 in the um, OTC um, you know, investment banking market. So that is different. So therefore, um, a lot more attention is placed on LCs, guarantees, credit insurance, allocating that. And so you see a lot of effort to, to cover the risks rather than price it, trade it, etc. But I think that, that there's this growing realization that that leaves money on the table, that there's, there's room for a much more nuanced commercial approach to managing counterparty credit risk. And then there are ways to take advantage of, of those that are perhaps a little bit more, a little bit less advanced. So it's again, it's 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 like a replay of the '90s in some respects, um, but just with different nuances and, and considerations. So we touched a little bit on personnel, and we, you know, you mentioned that individuals are moving over from investment banks into these large energy companies, and I guess they're bolstering up their trading operations as risk operations. But what are some of the fundamental differences in the analytics themselves? I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of the rates market or the FX market. Uh, they have arguably predictable behaviors, but we've seen oil go negative. The electric markets and transmissions are completely different in terms of seasonality and weather and, and things of that nature. So how are the markets themselves different that could affect the personnel that are coming over to manage these types of risks? If you think about the energy commodity markets, you've got, you've got bulk products or cargo-based products versus pipeline products, and those are very different. So if you've got something where you're, you've got a trade where you're continuously delivering through a pipeline, or you've got a trade that's based upon electrons that are continuously flowing down down uh, down wires, it's very very different to trading interest rates or FX, and very different to trading a uh, a ship or a cargo or something that's being delivered by freight. So those differences uh, affect the the analytics and and really um, are very very new. Uh, issues to cope with if you've gone from a fixed, bank, fixed income trading background to a commodity trading background. Then there's also the, the physical life cycle. So if you're delivering a physical commodity, you've got a mark to market part of your exposure profile. You then start to deliver and then it goes into accrual and then the, then, then there's an invoicing cycle and then you've got 30 days to pay. So you can have a portfolio of transactions, any one of which are in, in very different points in their life cycle. And those, those sort of three broad categories of life cycle get broken down into, uh, in, 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 into much, into sort of subcategories. You've got cargoes that get held or released and, you know, pending LC allocations, all sorts of things. So coping with that granularity is enormous. And, and you have some firms that, a single trade will be represented by four layers of, of effectively cash flows going from a trade to a leg to a shipment to an individual parcel on, 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 a, on, on a particular ship. So not only does that 
Um, and, and, and at each of those levels, you can make choices about collateral allocation and netting and things like that. So the complexity, the life cycle aspects, and, and so in some cases, the sheer volume of, of data is, is a real challenge. Um, and then you layer on top of that things like seasonality um, and, and the, the multi-factor nature of, 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 of any analytics that need to estimate CVA, XVA, PFE, that kind of thing. You know, it's uh, it's of an order of magnitude much greater in some respects than um, than the fixed income or, or FX markets, as, as as an example. You know, it's interesting we're talking about volatility, but you're making me think through this question slightly different. And perhaps, how do you define volatility in the commodity markets? I'm I'm thinking volatility and supply chain disruption. Uh, and what we've seen in ports in California and ships sitting out uh, for weeks on end and hurricanes and, and natural disasters and things of that nature. So when I talk volatility, obviously I'm talking market fluctuation and things of that nature. But number one, should an energy company be thinking about volatility differently? Yeah, no, those types of factors sort of sit outside of either your assessment of the counterparty risk, because you could have two US companies that are trading, uh, you know, got a trade between them on a particular commodity. So they're happy with the counterparty risk. The volatility may be high, but it may be, you know, you're modeling that, so that's fine. But then you've got a product that's being delivered at some place in the world where your geopolitical risk, the risk of expropriation or... Uh, or some other physical manifestation, which which means that you cannot deliver or receive delivery of that commodity. So that then leads, so so there's much more um, focus on performance risk. You know, you've got a ship sitting off offshore somewhere, as you mentioned, and and it sinks, or or or, or it gets captured by pirates, or you know, there's there are so many other considerations it just it's it's a fascinating market actually and that it's a big it, it makes managing counterparty risk much more challenging in in those circumstances well i definitely say the rates market would be a lot more interesting if it had pirates <laughs> so thinking about traditional volatility how is this affecting the way companies are trading right now yeah there's been some big changes so one one example is in europe where you had some com- countries that relied heavily on individual long-term supply contracts from um, from Russian suppliers in the gas market. So I think you can guess where I'm, I'm heading now, but you know, practically overnight these things disappeared. And now you have a situation where um, that supply is being managed through short-term markets with huge volumes of trading across a large number of counterparties. So not only have you got the volatility of short-term markets, you've got massive volumes of, of trading. Trading volumes have just gone through the roof. And you've also got trading with many, many more counterparties, so a significant number of counterparties. So what that's done is it's it's not only put firms under strain in terms of trying to stay on top of their risk positions, it's put them under strain in terms of their operational departments, trying to stay on top of the, the volumes of trades, the volumes of settlements, you know, and as I said earlier, these 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 physical settlements in the market are not trivial, and um, and then from a counterparty risk perspective, the volumes of 
onboarding, annual reviews, setting of limits, monitoring of limits, that kind of thing. It's 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 um uh, it's 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 been a, a a stressful time in terms of that transition. Then the other big shift has been a shift away from exchange trading towards more OTC trading, which you will find counterintuitive given everything that we've we've just talked about. Now, what's driving that is that it is really a liquidity threat. So what you saw is that the, um, the exchanges naturally jacked up their initial margins. And then the variation margins were just massively swinging all over the place. And, and, and I think that's, that's calmed down now, but, but, it, but it's still a volatile place. That threatened the, li- that threatened the life of um, a few very significant companies, particularly in Europe. Um, I'm sure it was the same in the US. But what, what happened there is that firms in their attempt to get on top of the, the stress that that was putting on, on, on their liquidity pools, that they, 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 they migrated a lot of their trading to the OTC markets where they can trade unsecured, and they've got more control over the, uh, the terms of trading if, if, if they are trading under collateral terms. So that actually introduced more counterparty risk into the market just at the point when, when that was the last thing that, that anybody needed, and, and, and that was because the uh, the most proximate risk for firms was was the risk of running out of cash. Carl, we've made it to the final question of the podcast, and we call this the trend drop. It's like a desert island question. So if you could only track one trend in the energy market right now, what would that be? Oh, that's a really, really good question. What is really fascinating is, is that the, thing, the things that we've been discussing here, which is the accelerated adoption of of advanced analytics, which then really is driving an improvement in things like data management, IT systems, etc. Because the more the more powerful analytics, the more that you need the right data in the right format, in the right place, all at the same time. So that that that, that is driving um, uh, investment across the across the spectrum. I think then ultimately what 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 we're seeing is the is the advent of much more commercial-based trading in in the energy markets, in the sense that um, you know the cost of cash, the cost of capital, the cost of credit, all of those things will will need to be priced in, and we'll start to see some new winners and losers losers in that space because of that that trend. Very much as we saw in the eight in the nineties, sorry, the nineties and the early two thousands when when CVA XVA trading took hold, and um, and 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 that saw big shifts in in competitive positions. Carl, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Fascinating topic, and I look forward to speaking to you soon as this evolution continues. Likewise, James. Uh, always a pleasure to work with you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Carl. All right. Thanks. Bye now. Coming up next week, the author of B is for Bitcoin joins us to discuss a technology that's being referred to as the future of capital markets. It's a must listen. But first, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave a comment, a like, and check out our other episodes. Thanks for joining.